Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today we're talking about fly fishing in the winter. Now, when it's getting cold out, a lot of people take the opportunity to put their gear away for a couple of months and take it easy, whether that be through simply fly tying or pursuing other hobbies like deer hunting or watching TV or hibernating. Those things are totally okay. In fact, you can be an avid fly fisher and take months and months off. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't lose your street cred, or at least you shouldn't. But if you want to get out... That's a completely other thing. There's nothing saying that you can't fly fish in December, January, February, depending on where you live in the country, what those winter months are. And as long as local regulations allow it, then you can ethically pursue fish. That is to say that by catching these fish, you're not pulling them out of the, the one spot that they need to be in to survive, or that air temperatures are so cold that as they get removed from the water, they're really going to uh, get adversely affected. It's totally fine to fish, and you're not limited to standing over a hole in the ice pulling fish out that way, which is a lot of fun, but it simply isn't fly fishing. So there's a few things that I want to mention regarding winter fly fishing. There's, there's a lot of different topics that could be covered. We could talk about gear. We could talk about just the biological necessity that fish have to eat, and so they will be feeding during the wintertime. We could talk about effective patterns, effective tactics, and those are things that I've explored on Casting Across and things that we'll probably talk about on the podcast in the future. But for the sake of today, I want to focus on kind of big umbrella, broad level stuff, and that is three spots and then one mindset you need to be in when you're fly fishing in the winter. So when I talk about spots, I'm not talking about a specific place. I'm not saying go to Creek X in State Y. That's where you'll catch fish in the winter. There are some tried and true spots, but I think all of them fall into the categories of these three 
types of water I'll be mentioning. And the first is spring creeks. Now, if you live close to a healthy spring creek, you're in luck. That is just a treasure, something that uh, unfortunately I kind of took for granted when I lived on the shores of a wonderful spring creek. I didn't know how good I had it. But regardless of winter weather, in fact, regardless of any weather, you're going to have steady flows, consistent water temperatures, and also prolific insect life. The awesome ecosystem of a spring creek makes it the perfect place for trout. They grow in abundance and they grow um, big as long as uh, the stream is in good shape, not polluted, not being poached, etc. And so trout, along with other species, thrive in spring creeks. And so that's easy. You know, there's spring creeks, spring creeks in Pennsylvania. There's spring creeks out in Montana. There's spring creeks all over the country that are just these beautiful, slow, meandering meadow streams with tons of aquatic vegetation and crazy currents, but lots of big fish. But that isn't the only kind of spring creeks that are out there. There's a lot of spring-influenced creeks that we don't even know about, and I think it's important that we do draw the distinction when we're talking about different water types and uh, different uh, environments that we do make that distinction between spring creeks and spring-influenced or spring-fed creeks or even creeks that just have spring seeps. But there are lots of rivers out there. There's also lakes out there that just because of the geology and the hydrology of the area, the water table is higher, and so you have these cold infusions of water um, trickling in at different places. You may encounter this. I know a particular stream in Pennsylvania, I used to fish a lot, and even in the summer months, fishing for smallmouth bass, you'd be wet wading and you'd feel this cold water just kind of originating from the stream bank um, at a certain spot. And um, that, that's an example, of, actually a pretty stark example of what a spring seep is like. So in the summertime that has its benefits, but in the wintertime that also has its benefits. Because if it is a large enough seep or a large enough influence, which could come again from the stream bank or could come from the edge of the stream, then um, you're gonna potentially have open water. So whereas everything else is iced up, if the water coming in is warmer because it's coming from underground, then you might have open water. It might be for a few feet, which would make fly fishing a little complicated, but as long as the temperature is a little bit more temperate, a little bit more mild, then those seeps and those spring influences will give you fishing for a prolonged stretch. And even if the water is open, then that's a stretch where the fish won't necessarily stack up in. And again, that goes back to the ethical fishing. You don't necessarily want to be fishing over fish that are stacked up and this is the only place they can survive. And by pulling them out of an already stressful situation, you're, you're causing problems for them. But this is a spot just to consider as you're, as you're fishing. Again, the same thing goes for lakes. Um, there's places where the water is um, unusually warm and that is because there is a influence from an underground uh, water source. So these are stretches and spots that are gonna hold fish and stay ice-free longer in a very natural setting, in a very natural way. And I've encountered this in the Carolinas, in New England, in the Midwest, in the, in the Rockies, where you, you encounter these situations. So it's everywhere. So moving from spring creeks, the next spot for winter fish fly fishing that you could think about is tailwaters. They're not as natural as spring creeks, particularly if you're standing at the foot of a multi-hundred foot dam 
the last thing you think is I'm in a natural setting. But as soon as you move downstream a bit, get a few bends away from the dam, which also usually moves you away from the crowds, it is a awesome environment and a wonderful place for fly fishing, especially fly fishing in those off months. Now, you could be spoiled. You might have a tailwater like they have down in the uh, south part of the Tennessee Valley Authority, the TVA system that gets managed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And these are the rivers in Arkansas, the rivers in Missouri, the rivers in Georgia, the rivers in Tennessee that have um, just spectacular um, trout fisheries beneath them. Some of the biggest trout that get caught in the contiguous United States come from these places because they produce such healthy and such large fish. Food sources, consistent temperatures, consistent flows all go into making that happen, especially because it's also on a very large, wide, long river dozens and dozens of miles often of, of uh, river for these fish to live in. But again, that's not your only option when it comes to tailwaters. Um, if it's a bottom release dam, so if the water comes through, usually this is for the hydroelectric purposes, if the water gets pulled from the bottom, then that water in the winter time is gonna usually be warmer than the water on the top of the, the lake or whatever is being impounded behind the dam. Again, this is a general principle, but it usually holds true. And so between the warmer water being pulled out from the bottom in the wintertime um, than it is up on the surface, um, or if it's spilling over, you have either a temperature difference or you have just water moving quicker, and so it isn't going to freeze up as readily. It'll take some pretty cold conditions for um, waterfalls or spillways to freeze over. I've seen it happen, but it's just not that common. So you may have um, 100 feet, you may have 100 yards, you may have longer below a dam that's ice-free, um, and again, that fish are going to move up towards, especially predatory fish, and whether that be larger kind of typical warm water species um, like bass or like pike or muskie or just larger trout. They um, also key in on these spots because you get a, a large amount of bait fish coming through um, at different times of the year and even including the winter time. And so uh, anything that goes over a dam or through a hydroelectric turbine is not going to be particularly fleet of fin, and so they are easy pickings. And so um, a lot of times you do find large fish being plucked from right beneath dams. Once again, there's an ethical question there, depending on the water body you're fishing, how you're fishing, uh, what time you're fishing, temperature, et cetera, et cetera, is that the right thing to do? And again, it's hard to make a judgment call without knowing the particulars, but that's just something to think about. Is there a tailwater around you? It doesn't have to be an enormous dam, but is there a 20-foot dam? Is there even a spillway that, um, because the water is moving quicker at that point, you'll be able to make a cast and have a good drift, fish a streamer, fish a nymph, even fish midges. Um, all th three of those uh, angling techniques are completely viable in the wintertime in a spot like, uh, like a spillway, even if it's a really small, uh, low-head, low-clearance dam. So we have spring creeks, we have tailwaters, and thirdly, we have warm water discharges. So if spring creeks are idyllic and tailwaters are um, compromised with a giant concrete structure, but then grandiose and amazing once you get beyond that, warm water discharges are, well, they're there and you can fish them. I've fished under and below power plants. I've fished under and below wastewater treatment facilities. And there are smells and there are sights that you really don't get anywhere else fishing in this wide world of ours. But 
regardless of the the circumstances and the the industrial feel i've caught fish and you can catch a lot of fish so again this might be totally offensive to you the unnatural elements of fishing um outside of a power plant or outside of a sewer plant you know that might completely turn you off and some of them i would absolutely say you probably want to stay away from uh, even with as uh, strict of policies that uh, we have in place um, they're not perfect and some people aren't always abiding by them perfectly and so you could potentially be in a pretty foul situation but there's some that are regulated well both in the private and public sectors and um, by fishing underneath these what you're getting is a artificially induced warm water uh, influence in the river I've seen this in small rivers and I've seen this in large rivers and the fish will just thrive there in the winter months because they are following the bait fish which are following the um, micro uh, food sources that they feed off of and so again this isn't the kind of place that usually you um, think of when you think of fly fishing at the same time this is the kind of place that a lot of traditional fishers a lot of people who are using bait and plugs and spoons and jigs they go there and they usually have a pretty good following in places like this because they know that's where fish are and that can be trout or catfish that can be musky or that can be carp every fish it's winter time is the great equalizer where fish become incredibly opportunistic and so if you find a spot like this and you can legally and you can um, either clip your nose or not deal with that um, and so we can move to places like that when it is the best opportunity that we have available to us. The last thing that I want to mention is just our mindset. You know, when it's cold outside, when it is, um, when it is uncomfortable to be outside, it's uncomfortable to fish. We can just be plain and clear about that. There is, again, no rule stating that we have to be uh, tough, we have to um, gut it out, we have to lose the tips of fingers and uh, have chapped cheeks to be considered fly fishers. It gets downright uncomfortable. However, this is 2018, the clothing we have at our disposal and um, the other gear that we can tap into, whether it be hand heaters or whether it be a hot beverage, it can keep you on the water a little bit longer. So but we just have to get our minds right. We have to get our, our thinking straight about what this means. So the fishing is going to need to change. And, and you're going to fish lower, where the fish have a little bit more thermal protection. You're going to have fish slower and you're gonna to have to have more patience. Again, if the fish are there, the fish need to eat. And as long as the environmental factors aren't pushing them outside of a healthy range, they're going to feed. And they probably are gonna feed opportunistically, but they're not gonna have the um, metabolic resources to chase after streamers ripped across the top of the water. They're not necessarily gonna to wanna to rise to a size 14 royal wolf. You're going to need to change your tactics. And again, that means lower and slower. You can still fish streamers. You can still fish um, multiple nymph rigs. You can still fish dry flies, but usually not blindly. Usually when fish are already sipping midges or sipping flies that are coming off. Because there are plenty of flies that do come off 
during the winter time. So it, it, it's really getting your mind around, this is going to be different. And I would say that's probably your first thing. Before you start researching, is there a spring creek? Is there a tailwater? Is there a warm water discharge around me? Make sure you get your mind right. Make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. I don't want to make it sound dire or like it's some grand quest, but I know a lot of folks who get amped up about going fishing in January only to come back and say, well, that was miserable because I was cold the whole time. Well, did you fish? No, I was too cold to fish. Well, it's January. If you live probably anywhere around or north of the Mason-Dixon line in the United States, it's going to be cold in January. But there's people that fish through these months, people who are crazy and fish multiple days uh, a week um, for hours and hours and hours on end, and people that just you know get their courage up to go out for one trip a week or one trip a month. It's not out of the question, especially if you have these opportunities in places like spring creeks, tailwaters, and discharges where you have a better chance of catching fish. Because there's nothing that's going to warm you up more than having fish come to your hand and being able to appreciate what you enjoy doing, fly fishing, even in the difficult months. For this week's recommendation, I want to recommend the TU Trout Unlimited Fly Fishing and Conservation Camps. These camps are a wonderful opportunity for young people. It was started back in uh, 1995 in Pennsylvania. The Cumberland Valley chapter of Trout Unlimited um, put on the very first fly fishing conservation youth camp. And the, the idea was it, of it was that there are camps for everything else out there. And these camps are for kids that are interested in sports and camps for kids who want to pursue these sports potentially long-term, um, whether that be in college or even professionally. That's a big business. Well, we had uh, a couple of men, specifically Dr. John, um, Jack uh, Beck, and Enoch Moore, who put this camp on, and it's been going strong now for um, really three decades. There are camps all over the country, Arkansas, North Carolina, California, Oregon, Colorado, a couple in Pennsylvania, um, Georgia, Tennessee, Idaho, Texas, Illinois, Maine, two in Utah, Michigan, Vermont, Montana, the Tri-State one, which is Virginia, West, uh, Washington, Maryland, West Virginia, which used to be Tri-State, and now I guess it's three states and a district. Um, New Hampshire, Washington, Wisconsin, New York, and then there's actually a, a, a nationwide summit that they put on um, every year for kids that kind of get cold from the, uh, all of these, these camps. Um, this will be something I talk about on the podcast again in the future because this is something that's near and dear to me, being both a participant as a student and as a volunteer for a number of years. But now is a great time. If, it's, if you're listening to this in the wintertime, it's a great time to see what you can do for your local Trout Unlimited chapter, whether it be tie up a dozen flies, or donate something that you might have, uh, or volunteer yourself, or if you are a teenager or you are the parent, grandparent, uh, neighbor, friend of a teenager who's into fly fishing, um, push them towards this. It's a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful experience, something that will not only help them, but help their local chapters, their local waterways, and uh, just conservation and the fly fishing culture moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.